My subtitle today is How to Be a Great Lover. Because <laughs> God wills it. God intends for every one of you to be a great lover. When Julie and I were buying our first house, um, we actually we bought it like within six months of us moving to Arizona. Um, just because we had been priced out of the Southern California market. And so uh, we bought a brand new house that was, um, when we went to the, to the lot, it was just dirt. Just dirt fields everywhere. So it was being built. So it was, very, it was a, a very exciting time. And so we worked with this guy in the front office of the builder. And through the course of just working with him, um, there was this one particular day where it was later in the day, they were closed. Uh, they were closing up shop, and somehow uh, spirituality came up. And he was talking, we were talking about church and what we do, and and this, his the guy who was like his business partner left his side of the office and came over, and there he and, and his business partner and Julie and I are sitting in this office having this crazy conversation about spirituality. And um, when, I, when I share my faith, I'm not one of those, you know, different people have different styles, but I'm not one of those confrontational kind of evangelist people. Um, you know, I, I'm not really out to try to convince people how rotten they are and how Jesus can save them for their sins, although most people are pretty rotten and Jesus saves people for their sins, but that's just kind of not my style. And I was sitting there at, and this guy said, well... Um, he goes, I think church is great. Um, I don't, I don't go. You know, I don't go, but um, I'm still, I'm still a good person. Thank you so much. He said I'm still a good person. I think that's really what, what's important is that, you know, you you be a good person, and you love God, you love people. That's pretty, pretty much the most important thing. That's what that. That's what church is really all about. And I looked at him and I just, I think you're right, absolutely. I think you're I think you're dead on. I said, but I don't know about you, but I looked at him and I said, How do you but how do you know that you love God? Like how do you know that you actually love God? That's kind of elusive. How do you know you love God? And he says stops and thinks about it and he says well i i thank god every day you know i'm grateful for the things that he has put in my life i pray to god you know and when i i pray and i i'm thankful and i try to be a good person and i said i don't this was one of those points where i, I looked at him and said i I'm not trying to be rude or anything, but he said, I'm not trying to be offensive, but it sounds kind of like you're in love with the idea of God, and you're especially in love with God doing stuff for you. Because as I listened to your answer, and I'm just pointing it out, I kept hearing, I'm grateful for the things God gives me and I pray about the things I need. And I kept hearing I and I and I and me and mine. And I said, from my understanding of love, it's 
it's the giving of ourselves for the good of another. It's it's us being love is others others centered, others focused. I said I'm you know I'm grateful for God giving me stuff too. Um, I said, do you really think that's actually? Do you think that's loving really loving God or or um, maybe just kind of loving the idea of God? And he just kind of stopped and thought about it. He's like, wow, you're right. It's fascinating. Today's scripture text um, and this week's uh, Experiencing God memory, memory verse um, reveals a secret of becoming a person that really loves God. A person that loves God greatly. Wholly. Uh, if you've got a Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 22. And we're just going to read uh, two, two verses. And in this text, um, I, uh, basically Jesus now, at this point in his ministry, has a lot of enemies. He's rocking the boat big time and upsetting, he's upsetting the establishment. And so these different groups who Jesus, the ministry of Jesus is threatening their power and their influence over the people are now trying to sabotage him and sink him. And so they're sending people to ask him trick questions, questions that are designed to trip him up so that when he gives, they're they're hoping he's going to give the wrong answer and they'll have grounds to either bring him up on criminal charges or um, that they'll have grounds to uh, publicly slander him. So that's what's going on. And so this, uh, that's where we pick it up um, with the Pharisees, I believe. An expert in religious law comes up to Jesus and says, now look, look at this. It's a good question, right? Now this is a, this guy got four translations in this, this Bible, but the Bible's pretty big book, right? You know, even the Torah pretty big. There's what, 613 commandments or something like that in the Torah. So big book. And the this expert in religious law comes up to Jesus and asks a good, legit question. Because this is big. Give me the cliff notes. You know, give me the cliff notes. Give me the big idea. Point me to the key passages in here. It's a legit question. Um, Amanda's husband, Rob, taught me uh, a great strategy for um, studying that I had never known before. Um, and, and it was just putting, applying it to study. There's the whole 80-20 rule, that 80% of the meaning of the book is in 20% of its words. 80% of its meaning is going to be in 20% of the pages. And so Rob had the ability and has the ability, I'm working on having the ability, of being able to scan the book and find that 20. Find the 20, focus on those, read everything, but focus on the 20. Great strategy. And Rob's, I mean, he learned some really cool stuff about how to study and how his brain works. And, and uh, so I really learned a lot from that. That's kind of what the Pharisee is doing. Big book. Where's the 20? What's the most important? You know, give me the cliff notes. This is Jesus' answer, and he quotes straight 
from uh, the book of Deuteronomy. It says, the teacher, or the, the Pharisee says, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And I'm reading from a New Living Translation this morning. That was verse 36. Here's verse 37, where we're picking up. Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. This is the first and greatest commandment. Let's take a second and pray. Lord, help us to sense your heart this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. There's, uh, there's really a lot we could, we could do with this text. But this morning, I just want to make one big point. God's goal is love. God's goal is love. The focus, and Jesus said, you want the, you want the cliff notes? You want to know where all this is going? You want to know the most important thing? In this whole thing, all of the written tradition, all of the oral tradition, all the history, all the rituals, all that stuff, the goal is love. Authentic love for God. This, this text, the translators did a wonderful job, but in, in Greek it becomes even more clear. It says, you will love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your being with all of your mind. Emphasizes it again and again, over and over. Hebrew does the same thing. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. And you will love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with your being, with all of your strength, all of your body, all your mind. That's the goal that we become people that love God. I've said this before, and it's just worth repeating. If we want to understand what love really is, if we want to really know what love is, we can't really start from here, you know, feet on the ground on planet Earth, and try to figure out by looking at life and our experiences and those around us to come up with a good definition of what love is and then try to say God's really good at that. If we want to know what love is, We have to watch what God does. We have to watch what he does, how he acts, how he relates, how he gives. If we watch God's actions, we can begin to understand what it really means to fully and wholly and authentically love. When we look at what God's love looked like, it's not sentimental selfishness. And I'm not... Not to be too jaded, but do you know what I mean by that? Sentimental selfishness? Julie was watching Boy Meets World the other day. And is it Cory and Topanga? Cory and Topanga are in love. But Topanga's family is moving her to Pittsburgh. I wasn't even watching. I just heard it. And of course, Topanga can't let herself be moved to Pittsburgh. So she makes this long trek from Pittsburgh back to wherever in the world it is they live, Philadelphia. 
And she shows up, and I think she was she all wet or something? I don't remember. She shows up, and they're in love, and they're in there. And Corey is like, I'm gonna, I've, I've known her since we were pushed in strollers together. And he gives this huge speech in, the, in that episode about how he knows that he loves Topanga. All I know is that when, when I'm with her, I'm better. All I know is that we've known each other since we were children, and she's the only one. And, and he goes on and on and on and on and on. And it was beautiful, and it was wonderful, and right there in love. And it changes. It's a whole game-changing thing because Topanga's aunt shows up, and she has an English accent, of all things. And Topanga gets to stay with her now. So who knows? Anyways, but I was listening, and I'm not bagging on them, but I'm listening going, they're in love, but I don't think they really get love at the moment. Maybe they do, and maybe he's just doing a really bad job of verbalizing it. Because if I boil down everything he said, it was, I like how she makes me feel. I like who I am when I'm with her. Are you seeing... And I'm not saying all that's awful. It's nice to have people that make you feel good. And it's nice to have people that make you better. But sometimes we love the idea of people more than people. I don't know how many times people are like, oh, like a bride. I heard somebody say once, I... They were so excited. Occasionally I try to talk people out of getting married. I really do. And um, this this particular bride, later on it didn't work out. She told me, I, I wanted a wedding and I ended up with a marriage. Very different things. God's love isn't sentimental selfishness. God doesn't really love the way we make him feel the majority of the time. And God doesn't love that he's better when he's with us. He loves us. And if we want to define what that looks like, we need to watch how he acts, what he does. But let's not get, let's not get things wrong. When G, what Jesus is saying here, Jesus, and everybody look at me because I think this is so important. Jesus is not saying, hey, just love, just, just love and forget about it. Just love and forget about it. Just love and forget forget the scripture. Just love and forget the Torah, the law, the guidance of God. Just love and forget. That's not what he's saying at all. And sometimes we, we try to make him say that, and that wasn't what he was saying. What he was saying was, this stuff, those laws, those do's and don'ts, that guidance... The goal of that stuff is to train us to love. To train us to love. That is their telos, their goal, the end game. That's where this is going. That's where this is going. And that's where some of the the religious leaders of his time had gone wrong. Because they knew the letter of the law and somehow missed the whole point of what it was trying to do in them. They were using the Bible to actually hurt people. 
they were using the scriptures as tools to take advantage of people at times, to hurt people. And how evil and wrong and twisted is that? Jesus was saying the goal of this is to transform us so that we become people that love, that can really honestly say we love God. Not in a sentimental, selfish way, and we're all going to do that. I love what God does for me. And I want to go on record saying I love who I am when I'm with Julie. That she does make me a better person. And I love who I am with her. And that she has changed my life as we've uh, done life together. I want to go on record as saying that. I'm not against that. And God's not against that. But the goal and, and the, the goal of where this leads us is to become people who love more fully, who love in a way that is so foreign to this world. The goal of this is love. Who's married who's married in here? Who's if you're married, raise your hand. One, two, three. So so a few of us back there. So husband, wife here, husband, wife here. Husband, wife here, husband, wife here. Sorry, Jim, no wife. And no husband. And no husband. Well, you can remember them in your head because I wrote something down. <laughs> Think back if you're married. And if, you've, if you're not married, remember a time you were at a wedding. And especially if you were in a wedding and you were close to where the action was. Every time get people that are married and I do I do I've done quite a bit of premarital counseling ask people why are you getting married and I also ask them is there anything I can do to talk you out of this standard question it was asked to me so it's not personal um, and of course the answer is we're in love we, we're in love can't you see that we're in love that's why we're getting married because this makes sense it does make sense, and they are in love, and it is beautiful and sweet and cute and all that. You know, it was, it was wonderful. It's, it's, that's great. So here's an interesting question. If we're, in, if we're in love when we get married, then why the ceremony? And especially why, why the dark vows? Have you ever listened to what's being said at a wedding? Are you paying attention? I mean, weddings, today people honestly don't get what's happening at a wedding. They honestly don't understand why everything is taking place. Clueless. It's just, this is my chance to look pretty. You better put me with a person of the right height. I want to stand here and look pretty. I'm going to hold this. And I'm going to make the dress. And the guys are like, oh, man, can we get to the reception already? Hope they got an open bar. How can I make a joke out of this? And they... I mean, that's, I mean, serious, people, just watch those girly channels, right? Uh, and, and all those wedding shows. I mean, it's nuts. People honestly don't get it, right? Oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah, say yes to the dress and the wedding. I mean, come on. So anyways, you watch, and I'm not bagging on brides, totally. But have you ever really paid attention there was a time when I was standing at the front of a church and almost trying to hold it together to not pass out. And 
a, a person I love that meant a lot to me in my life and in Julie's life stood there and looked at us and said, would you repeat these words after me? He said, Steve, repeat these words. I, Stephen, take you, Julie, to be my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until we are separated by death. As God is my witness, I give you my promise. Why? We're in love. Why the vow? Why the law? Julie and I are almost married. We'll be married 13 years. So, it's not a record or anything. But I have come to learn something on the journey. That there are those times... There are definitely, there are the better times, and there are the worst times. And there are the richer times, and there are the poorer times. There are the healthy times, and there are the sick times. But in those, we learn to love and to cherish until death. Why? Because the wisdom, the wisdom of God and the wisdom of the ages, the generations before us knew that when those worst time comes and those poorer times come and those sick times come, being in love doesn't cut it. These vows are not meant, I don't wake up every day and think about them. But early in our marriage, they guide us toward having the kind of love that it takes to have a long and healthy marriage and to build a healthy family. They're a guide. They're an instruction. It's funny because I can obey those vows and keep those vows and still never let them actually transform me into a person that truly loves my wife. That's possible. But the intent of the vows is to guide me to become a, a guide me to become a husband that loves, loves the way, loves the way that I need to love. Does that make sense? Because when it's sick, when she's sick, I don't necessarily love the way she makes me feel especially if she has the flu. When we're fighting over the budget, I don't necessarily feel like she makes me a better person. I remember those, I remember nights staying up, her and I, till 4 o'clock in the morning in the driveway talking. And we're just talking, and there's that feeling of intoxication where it's, I mean, seriously, it's like I had three beers or something. Because the world just, you know, those if you've experienced that, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, if you never have, you don't get it. But there's this feeling of just intoxication of, wow. Um, 
That intoxication wasn't there when I was holding her hair as she was throwing up on her honeymoon. And that's a wonderful thing. But the vows are there to guide me toward love. Jesus was saying, the goal of God is love. The the goal of this is love. And so as we study it and learn it and and do it, it guides us to become people that can authentically and genuinely look ourselves in the mirror and say, yes, I love God. I love God. That's the goal. That's the end game. So where where could we land with this? Um, There's probably in this room this morning about three different kinds of people. Some would say, I'm just starting out in this Christian thing. I'm getting started. I mean, if you're you're a follower of Jesus, you've heard God declare his love for you. I love you unconditionally. I sent my son for you. Like the kids that are up at at Winterfest, they're going to come back having experienced the love of God in mind-changing, mind-blowing ways that are just, wow. It's like the first time you hear that, you know, that special guy or girl back in the day tell you, I like you. That wow moment. Or the first time someone tells you, I mean, and takes the risk, and puts themselves out there and tells you, looks you in the face and says, I love you. That kind of wow moment. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've heard God, God, you've seen God in some sense look you in the face and say, I love you. I want you forever. And you say, yes. I want you. Yes. And it's awesome and intoxicating and fantastic. And it's wonderful. If that's where you're at in your journey, you're starting and everything is new and fresh and exciting. I would say live it up. Love that experience. Enjoy it. But allow yourself to be guided. Allow yourself to be guided by the scripture. Be guided by the wisdom of God. Be guided by the people of God toward the kind of love that it is going to take for you to finish your race well. Because there's a lifetime there's a lifetime ahead to finish this journey of faith and the kind of love that it's going to take for you to finish well will be the kind of love that God will help you to develop and, and form in your heart as you walk with him as you obey his word, as you don't just love and forget everything else. Others in here, I would say, at this point in your journey, you're maybe stumbling a bit. You've had that, wow, initial rush, that moment, you totally understood what I was talking about a second ago. But you're on this journey, and you've you've been through some very difficult stuff. Some, you've had some disappointment and things haven't worked out the way they should have. 
And if you were to evaluate, um, like Amanda said, if you were to, to evaluate your love for God at the moment on a scale from 1 to 10, 10 being the greatest and 1 being the lowest, you would find yourself maybe somewhere between maybe 3 and 6. God's not angry. My suggestion to you at this point would be act lovingly. Love isn't so much a feeling. It comes with feelings. But it's primarily a choice, an action, a verb, a decision. Ask yourself, what would it look like in my current situation to love God? Ask God, help me. What would it look like for me to love you right where I'm at? And then choose to act that way, especially if you don't feel like it. Sometimes we feel, well, I, feel, I don't feel like I'm, I, don't, I feel like I'm being two-faced because I don't feel like doing this. I mean, just a bit like, just to go, just get Sunday school on us for a minute. That's just a lie from the devil. <laughs> when you love, especially when you don't feel like it, I mean, how much more loving can loving get at that moment? Right? I can promise you, never once, ever, ever, Ever have I wanted to be close to Julie's vomit. Ever. I don't feel like that. Ever. But if I hold her hair, especially when I don't feel like it, how much more loving does it get? Love isn't just a feeling. So don't beat yourself up over that. Act lovingly. Feelings will come. Feelings will turn around. And then there's those of us in here who are just sold out for God. We made our decision for God a long time ago, and we're sticking to that. Come hell or high water. And God is honored by your commitment and your faithfulness. And for those of us who are like that, my suggestion would be, don't forget to love. Don't forget to love. Sometimes over the journey it gets so easy to substitute religious righteousness for love. And understanding that all this worshiping and praying and studying the scripture and reading the Bible and all that stuff, the goal is to transform our hearts so that we love. That's what it's about. Don't forget that. Don't allow yourself to become a religious person that knows the Bible and uses the Bible to destroy, to destroy your family, to destroy your marriage, to destroy and demolish people around you and hurt them. Using the Bible to do it. Don't let yourself become that person. Allow this to transform you so that you can love people around you in a way that will make them say, there's got to be a God. Next week for Super Bowl, Rob is quarterbacking the sermon. 
Um, but Rob will be speaking on John 14, 21, our next memory verse. And it's going to be a powerful key to experiencing God's love in our life to a greater degree. But I just want to leave you with this thought. The goal of this is love. 